listening to a podcast of Elam Lutheran Church in Osakis, Minnesota. Our passion is to be an oasis of life-giving water where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment. For more information and to find out more about our ministries, please visit osakiselamchurch.com. Or if you're in the area, come visit us in person. Our text today comes from the book of 1 John. We're going to be in chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, as we continue to make our way through this book, verse by verse. Guys, chapter 5 is the last chapter. Can I hear hallelujah? We're getting there, slow but sure. 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, and I'll ask you to rise this morning for the reading of God's Word. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it? that it overcomes the world, except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, I ask this morning that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. You can tell a lot about a church's theology by its billboard. Whenever I drive by a church sign, I make a point of slowing down and trying to read what they've got out front. Here are some of my favorites. Tweet others the way you would like to be tweeted. Acting perfect in church is like dressing up for an x-ray. That's pretty good. Having trouble sleeping? Try one of our sermons. That's less good. Um, too cold to keep changing sign. Sin bad, Jesus good, details inside. Uh, and here's one that I am personally proud of. We can go to the next slide. So I came up with this, which I think was the peak of my career as a pastor. It was to uh, advertise a car wash that we were having for the youth group. It says, thy car is filthy, come and be cleansed, car wash, Saturday 9 to 12. But every once in a while, the message says something a little bit deeper. And I was driving by, and there was this one church, and the sign made me do a double take because it said this. It said, win at life. Come join our church and learn how to win at life. It was interesting, I thought, because I didn't know you could lose at life. If you look up Win at Life on Amazon, you'll get over 3,000 hits. So it's popular in the self-help section. We kind of knew that. But to my knowledge, Jesus never gave a sermon on this topic. Or so I thought. 
Because today I ran across this passage from 1 John and I discovered that I was wrong. Jesus tells us exactly how to win. In fact, it's plain as day, right there in the text, verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. What is the victory? What is the the secret sauce that makes us winners? Our faith. Our faith. Faith in Jesus overcomes the world. There's no 10-step plan for becoming your best self. There's no ladder for attaining self-mastery. There's no blueprint for graduating from a yellow belt to a purple belt to a black belt disciple. Winning doesn't consist in doing but in believing. You win when you believe Jesus is your Savior. So, friends, what that means is that if you are here as a Christian today, you have won. You are a winner because of Jesus. Pastor Tim Keller provides this powerful illustration. It's basically the version of the kid's message that I just gave here, but it's it's really powerful. He says, imagine you are pitted in a one-on-one spiritual marathon race against Jesus. Just you and Jesus at the starting line. The gun goes off and Jesus bolts out ahead of you with blazing speed. Jesus runs the perfect race, right? He, he never loses focus. He never takes one bad stride. With much fanfare and acclaim, he finishes the entire marathon in seven seconds. Right? It's, it's this new cosmic record. And finally, in the spiritual marathon, you straggle across the finish line. About five years later, you lost your focus and got tangled in the bushes You frequently tripped over your own shoelaces and fell in the mud, flat on your face. As you gasp and collapse at the finish line, you look up and see Jesus already standing on the winner's platform. He has a gold medal around his neck while you feel defeated and ashamed. But as you start to slink away, Jesus calls your name and motions for you to come toward him. You whisper, who? Me? And he says, yes, you. Come join me on the winner's platform. So you sheepishly join Jesus on the gold medal platform. He puts his arm around your shoulder and says, look, I know all about your race. It wasn't pretty, but you are forgiven. And just so you know, while I was racing ahead of you, I was also with you every step of the way. Every step of your race. And then he takes the gold medal and he slips it over your neck. And it hits you. You are being treated as if you ran Jesus' race. You are receiving honor based on Jesus' world record time and performance. That is what winning at life looks like. That is a picture of the gospel. 
As Paul says in Romans 3, 23 through 25, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. We are great sinners, but we serve an even greater Savior. We fail to run the race we should, drawn away and enticed by the the bright and shiny things of this world, tempted to chase after the stuff that in the end leaves us high and dry and, and that doesn't actually bring any lasting satisfaction. But Jesus, right? With like this, this laser focus, he doesn't fall for any of it. He overcame every temptation. He obeyed every law. He leapt every hurdle. He lived the perfect life and died in our place, shedding his own blood to rescue us from our sin. Bottom line, faith is the victory. Right? Game, set, match. Christians. But the story doesn't end there. If you look closely at these verses 1 through 5, you'll see that John isn't just talking about faith. He's also talking about love. And, and when he says love, he's talking about not only our love for God, that's included, but our love for one another, as in our love for brothers and sisters in Christ. So he's talking about love and obedience. Those are kind of the three main themes of this text, faith, love, and obedience. So a good question to ask then is, okay, how are those three things related? Right? What is the relationship between faith and obedience and love? This isn't a trivial question. In fact, you can distinguish different Christian denominations based on how this question is answered. So historically, the Roman Catholic Church has always taught that love and obedience figure very prominently into the salvation equation. Interestingly enough, the Roman Catholic Church actually teaches that you are saved by grace. Did you know that? It does. But by grace, what is meant is a supernatural ability, a substance that gets infused into you the moment you become a Christian, like some kind of spiritual super soldier serum that gets injected into you. And then what that grace does is it enables you to perform the good works, which then merit eternal life. The completely different understanding of, of grace. So for Catholics and in other ways for those of different Christian denominations, for example, Eastern Orthodox, faith, love, and obedience, these things aren't really distinguished all that much. They kind of just, they're categories that sort of bleed into one another. Now, in, in Protestant churches such as ours, however, we make a clear biblical distinction between faith, love, and obedience. And, and you've probably heard this before, but it's a helpful reminder. Faith is the root. Everything that follows from faith is the fruit, right? Things like love and, and obedience. Faith is the root. Everything that follows from that faith, the love and obedience, that is the fruit, the root is not the fruit, and the fruit is not the root. 
we need to be careful not to blur lines between these two because when we do, we risk ascribing our own efforts to salvation. And as Paul says in Galatians 2.21, if salvation could be attained by our own obedience, then Christ died for nothing. When we confuse the fruit with the root or vice versa, we nullify the grace of God. So this is important. Faith always comes first. Love and obedience follow, right? They, they grow out of that. In fact, Scripture makes it clear that you can't have love and obedience without faith. The author of Hebrews says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And remember, faith is the victory. Be because of Jesus, right, we, we, we have this gold medal. We, we wear this around. So what that means, I love how one author puts it, as he says, now we're free to run without counting our steps or measuring our progress or checking our time. We are free to love and obey. So faith first, love and obedience, follow that. Now, love, I can get on board with that, but I don't know about you. I hear this little word obedience. That doesn't sound like a very fun word, does it? I don't know a whole lot of kids that jump out of bed in the morning and say, boy, can't wait to play with my friends, eat some pancakes, and obey my parents. Oh man, it's going to be an awesome day. Obedience gets a bad rap because a lot of times when we say obey, we think of it as just blindly following orders, right? Doing something that someone else, usually someone bigger and more powerful than us, wants us to do, but we're just not sure if it's even for our good. So we think of obeying speed limit signs, right? Or tax season is coming up here. Obeying the, the tax codes or maybe even dog obedience school. But when John talks about obedience here, he means something different. Because when we obey God, we do so within the context of a loving relationship. And that's different. We have this new spiritual family, and that is what makes all the difference. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. All love and obedience take place within the context of relationship. Here's how this works. By faith, and when we say faith, we mean trusting and believing, not just a, a mental assent or a head nod saying, yes, that's true, but in fact, an act of trust, which comes to us as a gift, by faith, God brings us into His family and makes us His children. And children look like their birth parents, right? We hear phrases like, she has her, her mother's eyes, or she has her, her daddy's nose, or I've heard this one before. I don't understand it. Uh, he has his grandpa's hairline. I'm thinking, come on, give the kid a break. He's six months old. But when I compare my own baby pictures with those of my daughters, the resemblances are uncanny. And as kids grow older, 
those similarities get more pronounced. And it moves from just outward appearance to actual uh, words and actions, like our vocal intonations, our hand gestures. My, my mom talks with her hands, and so I do too. The way we walk and carry ourselves, our build, our posture, our smiles, the way we interact with others, all of these serve as indicators of our family of origin. We are the way we are less by personal choice and more by virtue of the traits we inherit, right? You can always tell a, a Smith or a Cookin or a Larson or a, uh, a Garrity or a, uh, a Chellhog or a, uh, that's right, avoid eye contact, people. But you can always tell, right, because they are born with a particular set of DNA. And the same is true spiritually. For those who are born, or rather born again, into the family of God, we too bear this striking resemblance to our Heavenly Father. We love because He first loved us. Now, love is not the entry fee we pay to get into God's family, Right? To be born of God is passive. It's not active. It's something done to you, not something you do. We can't bring about our own spiritual rebirth any more than a newborn can deliver itself. Instead, God brings us into His family, a.k.a. the church. And in this family, we have spiritual brothers and sisters. Let me tell you something that might shock you. The person sitting in the pew across from you is more closely related to you than some of your own family. You've heard the phrase, blood is thicker than water, right? Well, that applies even more so to Christians, except the blood we're talking about is not our inherited blood passed down from our moms and our dads, but the spiritual blood of Jesus Christ, which cleanses us from all sin. It's the blood of God's only beloved Son shed at the cross for you because He loves you and you and you and you. He loves you more than anything. He calls you His own and He invites you into His family. And that self-sacrificial love that He demonstrated at the cross is the same love we are called to practice toward one another, right? If we love our, our Father, we will love our brothers and sisters. Love for fellow Christians is not optional. You can't love God without loving His family, right? It's kind of a package deal. That's hard, isn't it? So hard. Because I'll be honest, there are days when I am not particularly lovable. It would be a whole lot easier to just love God without worrying about His messy family, myself included. It would be a whole lot cleaner, wouldn't it? This is actually the trap that some of the early Christians fell into. If you've heard of the desert hermits, what they did where they were these monks that went out into the, to the desert to pursue holiness with God, and they would live their entire lives alone 
in the desert, just getting away from, from all of society. Because, as it turns out, pursuing your own holiness is a whole lot easier without your neighbors there to distract you. And you have a lot more free time. And the hard truth is that there are times when our neighbors feel like an impediment to our pursuit of holiness. There are days when I can't focus on having my quiet time because my kid is having a meltdown. There are days when I'd rather listen to worship music than call a friend who is hurting. There are moments I'd just rather attend another Bible study than enter into the messiness of someone else's life. But such selfish pursuits are not in line with the gospel. They're not in line with love. Listen again to verse 3. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. I found this confusing. How can a commandment not be burdensome? How can obedience and, and keeping the commandments not feel like a heavy weight? Here's the truth. Love is what makes God's commandments not burdensome. Because love is the engine that drives our obedience. And as we learned last week, love, not fear, is the primary motivator. I love what New Testament scholar Lenski says about this. He, he asks a question. He says, is it a burden to believe in the Son of God who died in expiation of our sins? Is it a burden to be called one of God's children? It's a rhetorical question. The clear answer, no, it's not. The reason that the law is not burdensome isn't that its demands have lessened. It's also not that Christians have been injected with a spiritual super soldier serum so that now we are able to perfectly obey. And it's certainly not that our affections have been so reversed that we now happily do everything we should with a jaunt in our step. No, the reason God's commandments are not burdensome is that Jesus has fulfilled them. Love fuels obedience. As the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8.10, love is the fulfilling of the law. So how do you win at life? Through faith through belief in Jesus, and the fruit of that faith is love and obedience, all within the context of family. Brothers and sisters in Christ, loved relentlessly and self-sacrificially by our Heavenly Father, and called to love each other in the same way, putting aside our own preferences for the sake of one another. As we wrap up this morning, too, let me just say this to you. If you're hearing this for the first time, or maybe you've heard it many times, and this is the first time that you find yourself believing it, 
believing the good news that Jesus did all of this for you, that He died and rose again to save you from your sin. If that's you, I want to encourage you to, to come find me after the service. I would love nothing more than to talk with you about this, to pray with you, to thank God for His gift of faith to you. Our elders here and others would love to do the same. Or even if you are already a Christian, and, and this is just striking you in a new way, and you just want to talk more about it, uh, come find me too. Hey friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's Word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's Pastor K J O L H A U G at gmail.com. As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen.